Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Let me let me tell you about that youth hunt this weekend. Oh yeah, tell me about it. So, not this only, is actually coming out two weeks from now. So, well, yeah, so it was like two, two weeks, weeks ago, ago. Yeah, um, I watched the alligator try to eat a decoy. That was the first. Then never in my life have I ever seen so many ducks. Really, dude, just hundreds. That's how it goes. I mean, within like all shooting going, height, there. Like some of them, like it was just waiting on them to decoy, and it was like all of a sudden you'd hear you hear. Just the wind off their wings, and you kind of look up a little bit, and you start seeing a few of them, and then all of a sudden they're like swarms, all these ducks dumping into the marsh, and circling and like working decoys and. Just anybody kill anything crazy other than a ringer or? Uh, I seen a pintail. Really? Yeah. Uh, There's no boat seen two pintails. That's when I realized I was like, okay, that was a pintail I seen. No, did anybody kill a pintail though? No, I don't no. think so. A bunch of ringers and coots. Yeah. There was a bunch of widgeons out there this year. Um, Not in Area 7, but. I wonder if that was Area 3, because I did see some people kill uh, some widgeon. Yeah, I don't know what area On they the were on the weekend. But... I don't know if that was in out there. That's a good deal, though. Kid killed a bunch of kids. How many duck. kids showed up? Oh, they had about 100? It's a lot of kids. Yeah. Packed, packed. That is a lot of kids. Yeah, and it, it's awesome, man, because the, the, well, the Villages chapter uh, DU and the Golden Triangle DU, which is our two local DUs, um, they get together and they give out a gun. They did a, like a three-gun raffle, but yeah. all the kids got what they, a pack they get, of... They got they got a box of teal. Yeah. A tangle free teal ruins. decoys. I mean, they're good decoys. Like the tangle free. Uh, last year, I think they got a call and a lanyard. They got, they got um, a box of coots. This year they got teal. Uh, they get uh, like a call, a lanyard. Um, I think they get a membership to DU. Yeah. Um, the Green Wing. Yeah, and then they also um, like I think they had face paint in there. Oh yeah, yeah, and then, then two of them won. Uh, they get a they get a raffle ticket, and they have a few little prizes they raffle off that are that's just for the kids. Yeah, two of them won uh, mounts. 
Yeah. Yeah. And they uh, they have a couple taxidermists that give away a couple mounts. Yeah. I mean, it's a good time. So that was our last event uh, that we hosted. And, well, we didn't host. We were part of it. It was the last event we were part of. And then uh, coming up, we have February 25th. We have the Wood Ducks Nesting Box Project. That's going to be a good one. Should we do it? Show up with your boats. We even helped. Uh, we assembled some stuff for Wood Duck Boxes this tonight. Is, this will be recorded the Monday after. This will be released the Monday after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So if you're hearing this now, you've already done the Wood Ducks <laughs> Nesting Box Project. Well, you missed out on it. That's going to be a good time. But uh, April 21st, we have the Ducks Unlimited Dinner with UPO. Right? We haven't done a very good job promoting that, but it's on the uh, it's on our Facebook page. I think it's even in the UPO Nation. Uh, you can buy tickets through there, I believe. If not, you can buy tickets and we'll most likely know who you are or let, it, let them know who you are. And then you can sit with the UPO crew and listeners and most of the people you already know. And then... Uh, May 3rd through the 7th, we have our 5th annual Swanee River Fishing Expedition. Yeah. 3rd through the 7th is the 5-day. Yep. 3rd through the 7th. 5th through the 7th is the 3-day. Are you coming to that, Eastern? Dude, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do Honestly, I don't know yet. I hope so, but I, I... <laughs> there's no talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's a jam up one, man. Briar, are you coming? I don't know. I'm going to try. See? I'll tell you what. If y'all don't come, you're missing out. This is my. This will be my third year going and it is just an absolute. You got a canoe, Josh? I do not. John? No. No, oh, I do not. Man, it is a blast. It's. If I can't go, I five do days down the Swanee in a canoe with just a bunch of your boys. It's a blast. It's just. It's like a complete escape from society. You barely have any cell phone signal the whole time. You're just floating down the Swanee, fishing, fishing, and three beverages. or five days, whichever you choose. And then some really good beverages. Yeah. Oh, we always have the cold snacks. Cold snacks. Yeah. And then May 20th is our 2023 Mudbug Bash Poker Run. That's going to be jam up. We got a good time. Yeah. Yeah. We got uh, a mud motor we're giving away. We got a custom rifle we're giving away. A shotgun. A shotgun. A bunch of fishing trips, man. Bunch. There's a couple of scalloping trips. There's some scalloping trips. Oh man, there's some uh, some uh, even like an offshore trip. Yeah. Um, there's a duck hunting trip. All kinds of stuff. So yeah. much stuff. There, I, literally, there is, and there's still more rolling in. There's a lot. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. Man. I think and we got all, some calls all of the proceeds, there. all of the proceeds from this event, go to Tin Can. And Tin Can, if you don't know what Tin Can is, Tin Can supports. Uh, veterans and uh first responders first responders with ptsd so i don't I think it's just them with ptsd but they really try to focus on helping a lot of those people with ptsd yeah. so they get them out in the outdoors hunting fishing i think they even have some stuff where uh they may even have some where a group of guys you can call in somebody if you're having some help or i believe or this whole fundraiser is going to their alligator hunts. it is yep this will be a nice alligator hunt yeah, it's gonna be a blast Eat some. And they kill some. Yeah. Tin can kill some nice gators. Sean. I mean, they, they ain't putting little like eight footers in the boat. They're putting like ten pluses. Just wait till this year. 
Yeah. I'm going to buy me some tags this year. I don't have a boat, but hey, I'm going to kill me a nice one this year somehow good, or another. Good. You draw the you're, tags. I would say you're the reason I stopped <laughs> buying tags. You you <laughs> you draw the tags. I'm ser- not you, but I mean like people that buy tags with no boat and they have no equipment or anything because then I can just buy the $50 license and go hunt yeah. because people always hit me up. But then year. I'm $270 in the hole and then you get to enjoy yourself for $50. Exactly. That doesn't That's make sense. That's why I stopped buying <laughs> Look, look, look. You, you draw the tags. <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? You draw the tags and I'll take <laughs> yeah. you hunting. I got all the equipment. I'll do it. I'll do it out of my kayak. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can come in my boat with a motor and, <laughs> and, and use all my equipment and you ain't got to buy nothing but a tag. Yeah. That's the most expensive part. Yeah. So, listen. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Have you Hold got on. any of the gear? Oh, I didn't get that. I know people. Be like, hey, mister, can I borrow this? All right. I'm telling you, I already got everything. Everything but, but uh, beef alone. All everything right. But- so, we finished off our vents here. We got the crawfish boil. And speaking of crawfish boil, I'm going to go ahead and introduce everybody here tonight. We have uh, myself, Jordan Krebs. I'm hosting tonight because William's taking care of the kids. We got Easton. What's going on? We got Briar. Oh, you're not going to talk about Jim? Well, Jim Jim will be Jim's here. Jim's not here yet. Yeah, Jim will be here when he gets here. We got Briar. Yeah, yeah. And then we have John Wood with On The Fly Jack Plates. And I was waiting to say this, but John has even volunteered to donate a jack plate for a giveaway for the crawfish boil. Yeah, definitely. Sounds great. Awesome. So you can even win yourself a jack plate. Isn't there, isn't they giving, we were talking about this earlier. They're giving away a prop. Prop doctor? Uh, uh, I can't remember who is boat doctor, maybe. But, John, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, uh, you know, born and raised in Florida. Been on the water my whole life. Uh, my family's got a beach house down at a place called uh, St. Teresa. It's uh, near, like, uh, Carabelle and Apalachicola. It's about an hour away from Apalachicola. Um, and uh, just lived down there my whole life and uh, always been into fishing and hunting. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, pretty much it. Um, is St. Teresa anywhere near, uh, like Indian pass or no, no, it's the other side no. of Appalachia. Yeah. Okay. That's I've, we've, we've spent a little bit of time in uh, and, uh, Indian pass. That's a, I mean, that part of Florida is just beautiful period. You're from Tallahassee, aren't you? Yeah. I love man. Uh, so often I'm like, I'm going to move up to Panhandle because that's like one of the last real Florida places that are left, even though I know it's getting developed up there too, but there's still a lot yeah, of real like Florida. Yeah, uh, where the beach house is, it's, you know, it's just like little small beach cottages. There's there's 17,000 acres right behind the beach house, and uh, it is great. It's nothing like, you know, Destin or any of that stuff. Um, so it's a, uh, it's really nice. It's like a slice of heaven, man. You, you go down there in the wintertime and there is nobody down there. You know, you can, you're not supposed to, but you know, you can drive your trucks on the beach and, you know, have a fire and you pretty much do whatever you want. That's right. That's awesome. I, that was one thing I always found really cool about the panhandle. Like you said, um, like when we first started going to Indian paths, it wasn't, it, you know, it was already getting developed, but it, it's not near what it is now. And I always said I loved it up there because the hunting woods literally ran right into the flats. I mean, you had yeah. like pine trees on the edge of the flats. I was like, that's, I mean, you could, you're right there either way, whatever you want to do. Yep. So you own on the fly jack plates. I mean, at what point were you like, hey, I'm going to start making jack plates? 
<laughs> well, I uh, I bought a little 11 foot Boston Whaler and it had a little 15 horsepower short shaft on there. And uh, I wanted to go faster. And then so I bought a 25 horsepower uh, Evan Rude and it was a like an extra long shaft engine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I got it and, you know, put it on the boat and I was like, well, this isn't going to work. So then I just started researching jack plates and uh, I didn't have enough money to, to buy an electric jack plate. Um, and I didn't want to buy a manual jack plate where you had to take the boat out of the water, loosen bolts on either side, get a ratchet out, ratchet the engine up to a fixed height, tighten the bolts back, put your boat in the water. If you don't like the height, you would have to repeat that process. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of work. So, yeah. So <laughs> then I just started doing research and I was like, man, there has to be some kind of hand crank jack plate out there. And I did probably 100, 150 hours of research, you know, going through like the whole truth and all these forms and, and I found nothing. And, uh, and I just got a, I was like, wow, this could be something. And I got a uh, piece of cardboard box and I made a little prototype with my, uh, truck jack. And I was like, yeah, this, this could work. <laughs> so did you and, actually uh, run that jack plate? No, no, it was just a card, cardboard box <laughs> in the living room. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, she was like, what are you doing? It's like, I think I got something here. And uh, then I made another prototype out of wood, you know, a little stronger. The, you know, mechanics of it were better than the cardboard. And it, it worked. And uh, then I went through about five or six prototypes, real prototypes made out of aluminum. Um, and then I finally, finally got it, but it, it didn't really look that good. So I had to find a manufacturer that could actually machine all the metal for me um, to make it like look good to actually compete with the competitors. Um, and it just all started. And I went through all the patent search process and, um, and then I actually got a patent on it <clears throat> and then I, uh, I started just, I made a website and I just put online and started making videos on social media and then it kind of just took off from there. Yeah. I was say you guys have taken off like crazy, but do you still have any of your first prototypes? Yeah. Yeah. I got all of them. That's awesome. Were you like <clears throat> welding aluminum together or were you bending it or? Um, yeah, it was a, a mixture of both. So um, we were bending metal and uh, welding it. And, uh, you know, the welds, they, we couldn't go that route because it wasn't going to be the same product every single time. Yeah. Not so, yep. Yeah. So then I went to a, uh, an old lawnmower manufacturer and they did um, uh, like molding, like molds. And, uh, I was going to go with them, but then all the molds, they were all rough on the outside and everything and not nice and shiny like a machine would be. Uh, so then I found a, a machine company for a CNC and uh, they just started doing it. I was like, you know, um, I'm brand new. I don't got any money. 
but I got this idea and I think it's going to work. Will you work with me? And, you know, they gave me a shot and uh, I put in my first order of, uh, I think it was 13 units and um, got my first order. And ever since then, it was just kind of taken off. Have you, you've always fished and everything your whole entire life? Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, what, what was your first boat? My first boat was a, uh, it was a little aluminum boat. I don't I think it was like a sea arc with a little six horsepower on there. I think it was a six horsepower Johnson. And, uh, my parents would, I was probably seven years old or something like that when I first started going out in the boat by myself. But they would just let me go from our beach house to a place called Alligator Point, which is probably a, a mile and a half, maybe. But I'd just go over there and run around and come on back home. I know we were kids, like, if we got permission to, like, hey, you can go to Alligator Point, it was like, hey, you want to try and go past Alligator Point and see if we don't? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see how far we can go. Yeah, push the limits a little. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I was... I think me and William started out with like a just a little twelve foot John boat that my parents had got us for Christmas, and it had a trolling motor on it. And at this point, I don't know, William might have been in high school, and I think I was in middle school. Maybe, Maybe. William was still in middle school. Maybe he's in. I think he's in high school. Yeah, and uh, and then from there, because my papa bought us a John boat at a yard sale for fifteen dollars. Didn't that John boat start our, our Christmas tradition of going we there? It did, yeah. Every year for a while, the the three of us went fishing on Christmas Day. Yeah, that was it. Started that morning. Yeah, yeah we got that John boat. So he, was well, so he had school. to be at least in middle school because y'all met high in middle school. school. We met in high school. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dad Gum. I want to back up a little bit to where Alligator Point was. Say that one more time. Alligator Point, where? Oh, Florida. Oh man, you in the Panhandle. Yeah. Yes, sir. I've been there. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> but so I had a Jim, business meeting. Right Jim, this is, Jim, this is John Wood with On the Fly Jack Plates. John, this is our other co-host, Jim. Yeah, sorry awesome. that I was a little behind today. Had a That's all right. Start late. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Um, when you said Alligator Point, I was like, Florida? I know where that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's based out of Tallahassee. Yeah, man. I... Uh, one of my favorite places on the planet is that whole area between really St. Mark's and maybe St. Andrew's Sound, but yeah. Cape Sandblast, Appalach, those are mm-hmm. those my stomping grounds in the summer. Yeah, those, those are some good places, man. Did you ever do any more than just fishing as a kid? Did you ever try and do any crabbing or anything like that? Yeah, we were, when I was growing up, it was it was really good. We had a bunch of you know, grass flats and salt marsh and fiddler crabs and all that stuff. And probably 15, 17 years ago, maybe even 20, it kind of all just started going away. Um, you know, we don't see any fiddler crabs anymore. Um, some of the salt or the uh, saw grass, it went away, all that marsh grass. And, um, we still got a, uh, a a pretty decent size flat, kind of near the beach house. They're pulling a ton of fresh water out of Appalach, out of out of that whole river system that kind of comes down through Lake Seminole. A lot of fresh mm-hmm. water, 
And yeah. it's changed. It's crushed the oyster industry. Yes, um, it sure has. And then there's other things affecting the grass too, but the... I hate to get on because everybody's got a right to live and things like that, but it's just one. It's just the cost that we're paying because Atlanta's growing, and that whole area. Everybody, man, the South is where it's at. Everybody wants to be here. If you don't, you probably need to get your head examined. But it's crushing. <laughs> it's having big time impacts on the ecology. It really it is. sure has. I know that uh, CCA. I just heard about them releasing. I think it was uh, ten thousand redfish in Apalachicola. Mm. They Dang, released a ton in St. Joe Bay two years ago, and last summer I caught half of them. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> that's something I've never caught. I've never caught a redfish. What? what? I know. I've been oh man, you gotta do that. We need to get together this summer. We need to get on some redfish. We need to go. We'll video it. I tried to put Briar on some, but all he wanted to do was fly fish. So yeah, I, that's been my dream is to catch a redfish on a fly rod. Have Sorry. you ever caught one without a fly rod? No. Let's start simple first, and then <laughs> yeah. we'll work into that. <laughs> it, it's know, I've been trying to get into that fly fishing, but it is a uh, it's, it's way more challenging than a yeah. you know, just a regular fishing rod. Yeah, man, it takes like way more patience, and I don't really have that much patience. Yeah, and you got to be ready. You know, once you, I guess if you're you know sight casting, you just you got to be ready, or they're gonna scat. You gotta know what you're doing. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> man. But when you're when you're out on in the shallows, and all of a sudden you catch that school just slowly motoring through, and you can get out in front of it. You know, my favorite thing is either a pinfish or a pogey and a popping bobber, man, popping uh-huh. cork. And you get it out there, and you see them coming to it, and it's like the first fish never seems to hit it, but the school, and all of a sudden that popping bobber just goes, whoop, and two Bloop, seconds yep. later, it's like. Dump truck. <laughs> oh, it's the greatest, man. Yeah. So that area that you're from, you guys, you guys do a lot of triple tail fishing. Because God, I love to triple tail fish. Yeah, um, I don't do too much of it, but um, every now and then we'll go triple tail fishing and uh, you know go up underneath crab traps, buoys, and s- stuff like that. Boogie um, boards. Yeah, yeah, you'll see them. So, what's your favorite type of fishing? redfish for sure redfish yep you you i assume you probably do more sight fishing than anything or uh i i like to sight fish um but normally it's just you know going to a spot and <laughs> hoping that they're there Luck of the draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you uh you roll up in the grass like the snail grass and and wait to see see if it's bumping a little bit and then oh yeah a little chunk yeah, of shrimp out it. there yeah yep yeah I there's a there's a spot kind of near the beach house and um it's just filled with oyster bars and uh, you go way up in there and it actually turns into a spring so it's just crystal clear water and there's redfish everywhere and blue crabs and mullet and there's gators and big gator trout it's a it's quite the scene. It's awesome. I don't want you to name the spot in particular, but was there a restaurant there that just recently got blown out with the last hurricane that had been there for quite a while? Fellow wrote a few no. books. No. No. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't tell you a spot anyway, Jim. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to tell me that one. I already know it. Absolutely not. There's not a restaurant that blew over there. there apparently, it's a different spot. Well, 
<laughs> I already know it, man. You ain't giving me no info. <laughs> so, I mean, the, you got your start in manual jack plates, and I think that's one of the coolest things that I really like about on the fly is there's nobody else that makes a manual jack plate that's that easy to operate. Right. Or do they make them for like motors like nine nines and stuff like that? Because there's a lot of people that that have smaller boats that don't need some massive jack plate. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the market that I hit is, you know, I've sold anywhere from five horsepower to I think it's 60 was uh, I think a guy just bought one for a 60. Um, But for the 60s, it's the electric models. Um, But yeah, we get a lot of a lot of customers with uh, those smaller motors, you know, 9.9s, 25 horsepowers, um, you know, yeah, just a lot of those types of guys. That is a sick kind of thing that hits kind of like the our listeners type deal because you get a smaller boat and like you said, you had a, you what you found was a motor that was an extra long shaft and that's just what fit your budget at that point in time, but it didn't work out for your boat, so you found a way to make it work right yep and that's that's huge william's boat honestly needs a jack plate too yeah but you I, got, need I, one? I got a g31860 that could use a jack plate i'm just worried a little bit about weight no so what up uh, you make a what size motor you got um it's a 90 90 horsepower yummy hammer yummy okay hammer. yes so our uh, our electric jack plate is rated up to 90 horsepower and it weighs like right around 32 pounds well, that ain't bad. Yeah. Really? We'll, we'll be talking yep. after the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll say another thing I like about your jack plates, too, is I've seen uh, some of them, the smaller ones are 12 volt, aren't they? Are they all 12 volt? Or? Uh, yes. Are you, uh, so the plug and play version, um, I just came out with that not too long ago. Um, and uh, it's a, a jack plate where it's in a a pelican case a waterproof pelican yeah, case yeah, yeah. um with a little 24 volt drill battery cobalt and a little wireless receiver in there and i have it all sealed up and all you have to do you don't have to run any wires through your boat or anything like that all you have to do is just plug the jack plate wire straight into the battery box and um you got your wireless remote right around your neck and you can just adjust the uh jack plate Oh, from anywhere solid. that's fantastic yeah, so i'm telling you that small is something boat. else Sim- similar to a power pole setup then yes yep similar yeah man but he's running off a like a 24 volt cobalt battery so you can recharge yeah. that battery yes and just keep running it you got something you put on a dash on a dash oh man i'm, I'm, I'm totally asking personal questions <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah man, you, know, you, got, you got your center console i got my little button from a power pole i just go boop and i also, I also have, a, I have a necklace for when I'm out, you know, on the beach or whatever, and we're having cocktails, and I need to make an adjustment. But when I'm in the boat, man, I just hit the button on the dash, drop power pole, like the same yeah, thing yes. with jack plate. I'm selfish. We, we don't we don't have one for uh, the the plug and play version, but our our standard version, um, it can mount to the dash. The, I guess <laughs> the one you, for you your have motor. a necklace, right? Yeah. The one for your same motor, technology. yes, can mount to the dash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> same technology. <laughs> That's awesome, though. I think that's where I actually, like, initially, I had seen a few things from you guys. Oh, man, it's been years now. But then, uh, like, that plug-and-play version was a thing that really caught my eye. I was like, oh, okay. 
Now that's nifty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I like to try to keep things as simple as possible, um, especially for our customers. It, all of our products are, are you know, pretty user-friendly, um, especially the manual jack plate and the plug-and-play. Plug um, our standard electric one, it, can, uh, it comes with a 10 feet of wiring, so you can either, you know, wire it through your boat uh, and it just hooks, it comes all set up, ready to roll. All you have to do is just put the, you know, positive terminal or positive wire on the positive terminal and then the negative on the negative terminal and uh, you're good to go. Makes it easy. User setup right there. Yeah, shoot, yeah. So where'd you get your name? Um, well, <laughs> so I, uh, I was thinking of names and it just kind of hit me um, because you can crank the jack plate up, the manual jack plate, you can crank it up on the fly. So that's uh, that's kind of where I came up with the name on the fly jack plate. I was gonna say I think that that is I mean that is super catchy. Yeah, definitely makes good sense for the company. Can you do that with the electric one? Can you do what? Yeah. Is there if you're if you're under power, can't you just raise or lower the uh, electric jack plate as well? Yes, definitely. So yeah, but so where where you missed out that we talked about is where he originally got his start was. Manual jack plates. Yeah, he he had a boat that had too long of a shaft, and nobody made a manual jack plate that you could crank like that. You either had to adjust it and try it, adjust it and try it. So he decided to make one that you could adjust on the fly. On the fly. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention. There you go. Started at cardboard. Yeah. Now we're in aluminum. Yeah. So you we're, that. I mean, y'all are based out of Florida, but I mean, what what's probably the farthest plate y'all have had to ship? Um, We've shipped to uh, Switzerland, Australia, Dubai, Panama, South America, um, Kuwait. And, uh, those are different. I would say those Kuwait. Why they send it to Kuwait? <laughs> ain't that much water in Kuwait. I say, I wonder what they're doing with a jack plate in Kuwait. I don't know, but they wanted it and I sent it. Yeah. Hey, I don't blame you. You get the money, send it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gum. Kuwait. I've been to Kuwait. Yeah, you have. Yeah. How was it? It sucked. <laughs> so where, I mean, uh, where have you fished outside of Florida? Uh, Louisiana. Um, that's, that's, I mean, South Carolina, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I've heard Louisiana fishing is insane for redfish. Yeah. If you want to go catch yourself a redfish, you go to uh, Venice, Louisiana and you'll get on them. I got a buddy that grew up in, uh, Southern Mississippi, kind of near Louisiana. And he was like, he, he moved down here to senior high school. He, He told me, he was like, you come back home with me, he said, it's a whole different type of redfishing. He said, you can literally yeah. throw whatever you want and catch a redfish. Shoot. We fished yeah. the Pearl River. We caught in the same place on the same bait. We caught redfish, stripers, and black bass, largemouths, all in the same place on the same bait at the same time. Crazy. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, we can we can do that uh, in the beach house as well, and it, it's it's pretty crazy. You catch a you know largemouth bass on a shrimp, <laughs> yeah, and you're like, what in the? 
<laughs> a largemouth bass. So, I mean, that kind of brought me back to where you said there were redfish in a saltwater spring. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of hard. Is it? I assume they're just. It's just so close that they're they're like uh, adapting to it and coming up in there. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it turns from like salt water to brackish water to spring water, and it just gets clearer and clearer. And by the time you get up to the spring head, it's just crystal clear. No weeds, just, so, just sand. When you've got, I imagine you're playing the tides. Like if the if the if the water runs up and gets like into a little marshy pond, and then the tide lets out, and all that water is coming out of the pond into the clear water. I imagine you get that nice mud line. Right, where you can tell the, the water literally changed color. You got muddy water, say, coming out of the marsh pond. And then you've yeah, got clear so, water in the river. So uh, where this is, it's um, it's just like a really skinny um, creek. And uh, it, it doesn't go on any types of ponds or anything like that. So it just kind of, once that spring water hits the brackish water, it just kind of, you know, dissipates. It just kind of looks like there's no water line, really, just because it's flowing into one another. But gotcha. I, I get what you're saying about the tides changing and seeing if there's a water line. But uh, when it's when it's dead low, you can't you can't get back up in there or I, I can't. And I, you could probably get back there in an airboat for sure. But any type of, you know, John boat or canoe. No, we'll run. Like the, we'll run those same what you described about. There's just a little bit of a rivulet coming out, man, maybe at what, three to four feet wide, six inches deep. And it yep. just empties right into that flat. And for whatever reason, I guess because minnows or little crabs or, or whatnot are getting pushed out with that flow, you know, all the big boys are in there banging yeah. away. Yeah. Definitely. And you look at it, you'd be like, there's no fish there. And then you throw something out there, and boom, right? You'd think you'd be able to see. Well, sometimes you can see them, right? You just throw right up in that, right up in that mouth and all of a sudden – you're on, like I said, in a dump, dump truck. Just <laughs> pulling uh-huh. away at the drag. It's the greatest, man. Yeah, overslot red. Yeah, there's yep. a one to catch. I don't know that I've ever caught an overslot red. Every red I've ever caught has been within slot. I caught a big one out there where you and I were fishing with, um, uh, I can't want to say Gene. Uh, it's not Gene. It's, um, oh my gosh. Jordan? Feller came down. Uh, that doesn't matter. We were the guy showed us St. Andrew Sound. We were out there. And, oh, uh, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, we yeah, all yeah. caught redfish, and I caught mine like right yeah, at the last. Dude, minute. that was a blast. We so we had set up in this uh, spot. Uh, eh, I, I don't careful. remember. Yeah, I was. I don't remember how you knew the guy, Jim. Just lobbying. Yeah. Just well, you know. It was a guy that we had. Uh, Jim had knew previously, and uh, we met up with him, and he took us to a spot to go uh fishing but we essentially just fished what was it like a pass wasn't it Man, it was lane stevens that's i couldn't believe it. i couldn't remember his yeah. name there for a second lane stevens but we just fished a pass didn't we it, yes but let's not get too more descriptive yeah that's all i was saying <laughs> it was a pass but all we did was park boats on the back side of the pass and fish dude it was a it was a blast I mean, you could not even you baited your hook and set it in the water and that pole was just about whoom, down, yanked. And Something you, was on it. Yeah, catfish and sharks mostly, but yeah. the reds came in, and when the reds hit, it was on. It was on, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. Kind of uh, every every year around Thanksgiving down at the coast, uh, we go to this flat, and um, two years ago, we didn't get a chance to go last year, but two years ago, 
Um, we probably caught 300 redfish in four hours and it was just anchor the boat up and they are everywhere. And, uh, we actually had dolphins circling us. And usually when dolphins are around, you know, it fishing cuts off. Yeah. Bye. And, uh, and man, those dolphins were just kind of corralling all the redfish around the boat. They were flipping the redfish up in the air and, you know, getting them with their mouth. And it was, it was very cool. Was that winter time? What you were saying, uh, like around Thanksgiving. So cool. Yeah. Cooler water. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I know there's places up there where they come in. Well, that's, that's elite. I'm thinking springtime. They come up and they school pretty heavy, but I think they're probably mating would be my guess. I don't really know. Um, yeah. March, early April, I've seen monster schools of them where you're just like, holy crap. On a cold morning, they get up in the, they'll come up real shallow where you can almost walk on them. It's really a, right. a neat thing to see. And I've only run across it once before, but when you walk up, when you, when you pull into an area, you cruise in an area and there's hundreds of redfish and there's mullet and things like that and mixed in with them. But when you just look at all that gold and red, it's mm-hmm. like, Oh my God. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's go time. Yeah, yeah. But it's also nice to think that, that that can happen, that there really are that many redfish. I know our spe- the species overall is imperiled, but there's still a bunch of them out there. So it's good news. Yeah, these stories about all these redfish from me and Briar. I haven't even ever seen one in person. So. Really? Oh, never. I've, I've seen oh, one. Dude, I've never seen one we, in person. We I've even got a one. spot. So <clears throat> there's a spot near the house here where uh, we have a lake that is, I guess it's essentially brackish, kind of. And uh, it's not supposed to be. It's yeah, freshwater. Saltwater intrusion has caused it to be brackish. But. Me and Jim, probably were you there that day? I don't. I know at least me and Jim went. Yeah, when Jim and was we were there. going to do some striper fishing, and laid into some serious croakers. Yeah, yeah, they weren't redfish. They were well, well they're in the family. They were the size of small redfish, though. I mean, they, they weren't quite. Yeah, we're talking like sixteen croakers. inch croakers. Yeah. yeah, but there's blue crabs all up in there and everything else. And yeah. um, there is a there is a spring. It's called Salt Spring for a reason. Yeah. And then Croker Hole out in the St. John's has got a little. When you get it down there, you can see that there's a there's a halo cline if you actually get back in the cave. Is so there, there's salt in there, yeah. So you've dove areas like that, or I have. In fact, I've even dove Salt Spring one winter because we didn't. They had all the signs that said no diving facing as you were coming out of the spring. <laughs> so we caved dove it, and we weren't supposed to. But. My, dad, my dad's dove uh, Croker Hole. Yeah, there. in Lake George. He's, yeah, he says you get down in there, he says you, you can't see anything. <laughs> no, in the hole you can. It's bright and clear, but you can't see it from the surface. It, yeah. you, you, you find it by dropping like an anchor, and then it drops into the bottom of a bowl, and then the, the spring actually comes in parallel to the surface. So you're, yeah. you're in a bowl, and then the cave runs parallel to the surface, and you can get back into it like 100, 150 feet. But there's on the outside, there's zillions of catfish, and the biggest catfish I've ever seen in my life, oddly enough, was actually all the way in the back of the cave. So I think we must have pushed it back in there with our lights. But when a, when a I don't know, three and a half, four foot catfish comes swimming out of a crevice at you and you're in a tight spot, it's a little unnerving. <laughs> That's <laughs> all bad yeah. catfish. All my, all my youth. But well, When are we going fishing, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have to look very hard to find croaker hole you can find all kinds of pins on it these days so we talked some about red fishing but you had said something earlier about gator trout 
And my goodness, I almost love catching some gator trout just as much as I love catching redfish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, when they hit that top water, it is, it's something else. Dude, it is. Uh, I, I'm all, I, I am just as ate up with gator trout as I am redfish. That stuff, I mean, them things, you think you got something, you know, like a, a dang whale on there. You get that thing in, you got a huge trout. Big head shaker, man. Yeah. I love, you know. You know when you got one because you get that back and forth. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, that trout bite that's just unmistakable. Or almost unmistakable. Yeah. Do you guys ever eat any of those saltwater catfish? We've talked to some people that say, oh, you guys are crazy. We should, You should eat them. But I've always heard my entire life, my entire life that they're trash. Yeah, that's what I've always heard. But I actually have heard that they are good. But I don't know if I can take myself to go up and eat. It's a risk. I think it's because they're common. Yeah, it's a risk. We've done it. I've told this story on the podcast before that we went out and caught. Um, well, we we where we I took you bush hooking. Yeah. In depot, and then. Um, oh, that was fun, man. We also caught a bunch of uh, sail cats off the beach. So we once you take the bloodline out, you know, big gaff sails got plenty of meat on either side of the bloodline. And when you mix that in with, with freshwater catfish, nobody could tell the difference. But when you threw in them little hardhead catfish, that that's just ammonia. That's is it those things taste like piss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what I've is, never tasted it, so it's not good. The hardhead catfish oh, and, and you know piss. me, man, I'll eat anything. So if I'm telling you that hardhead catfish aren't good, they're they're not good. I'm sure you could make them good, but you're not just taking hard cat hardhead catfish wiping in some cornmeal and throwing it in the grease it's going to taste like ammonia but the big ones yeah no problem just like regular catfish i believe it i was gonna say like you said i've heard the sail cats are the ones to eat but i don't who wants who wants to deal with the slime oh i mean the shit those things produce it's instant yeah (laughs) it's all over your line it's everywhere yeah so i mean I see you got a climber in the background there too, so you're obviously a hunter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you do? Do you get to do? I mean, has has hunting gone down since you guys have gotten busier? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's in the garage right now. Yeah. That's all. Put yeah. up dust on it. Did you get to do any hunting this year? Uh, I did a little bit. Um, I didn't get anything though. Um, but we had a bunch of big bucks on the camera. Um, but they were all nocturnal. Not coming out. Um, my uh, my father-in-law, he's the one that has the lease, and um, he has one of those game cameras where it sends you text messages of the pictures that come through. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, every you know, there was there was a couple times when he would be sitting there looking at his phone, and the camera would come or the a picture would come through, and you know, one of those you know nice bucks would just be standing there right there in the field. It was like. Okay, <laughs> that's about how it goes. Oh, see that that cell camera has just about been the demise of me <laughs> because it seems like when I hunt, I never see them, but then when I'm not hunting where the cell camera is, I'm getting uh, like I'm hunting somewhere else and I'm getting daylight pictures of like a target buck three thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, like, Dad, I'm about to throw this thing in the trash just because it keeps, it puts my spirits down. <laughs> this was the first yeah, year. Like, that. And then you, then you go to another stand, and then you get that picture, and he's at the other stand. 
Bingo. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's exactly where I was going. It was my first year hunting with cell cams. And you always have a little bit of stand anxiety. Should I go here or should I go there? You kind of get a feel for it. And you're sitting and you're thinking, oh, man, it's feeling deary. Any minute and all of a sudden, in your pocket and you pull it out. You're like, duh. That's why I said Wrong mine way. to not. That's why I said Wrong mine way. to not give me notifications. I have to. I have to physically go check it to see what's on it. Like physically check my app. So I I had this target bug that was easily a one twenty, which for my area is stupid. That's a huge bug. And uh, we were hunting in Rock Springs on a permit that we had, and I was sitting in the tree stand bored because I didn't see anything, and so I checked my camera, and like. 10 minutes before I had checked my camera, that buck had daylighted. It was like 7.45 when he daylighted. <laughs> and I was like, "You sound, like if I had missed this permit today and just gone and hunted where I wanted to, I could have killed this nasty buck, but I'm out here hunting this dadgum permit. Ain't seen a dang thing. It'd been the other way around if you went out there. Yeah, that's, that's right. how it worked. That's like, that's like if you don't carry rain gear, you're going to get rained on. Yeah. <laughs> So do you have any uh, hunting stories or fishing stories that stick out that you really didn't enjoy it or it was extremely funny? Or Sit tight. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel. From business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or 843-324-1727 or email Roman at romanvhamis.com that's r-o-m-a-n at r-o-m-a-n v-h-a-m-m-e-s dot com offices Florida and South Carolina um well, that one of my favorite ones was that one I I told y'all just a second ago about the uh, all the redfish and the dolphins coming in and yeah, I, I've never seen that you know all the dolphins coming in and flipping them up with their tails and catching them in their mouth and just kind of corralling them around the boat. But I think one of my uh, one of my favorite fishing stories was uh, when we were in Venice, Louisiana, and uh, we went there and stayed at a lodge and we had uh, our guide and. We go out the first day and he's in a, a 22 foot Skeeter uh, with a 250 Yamaha on the back, brand spanking new. And um, 
I don't even think it was broken in. So he started hauling ass and all of a sudden you start hearing and it was the pistons coming out of the Cali. Oh, and man. I know what's wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, and he <laughs> got no gas in it. And uh and our guide, he was he was nuts, man. He was uh he goes, God damn it, that's the second one this week. And we had to get towed back and get another boat. And that day I, I caught the biggest redfish in my life. And from what I remember, this was when I was probably, I think nine years old. I'm 32 now. Um, but it was, a, I fought it for 40 minutes and it was 57 inches long. Yeah. gum. That's a hoss. That's a big, it's a, you get was, over 30 inches and you're on 50. Cause I mean the girth. I mean, yeah. That's just a lot of meat pulling back, man. Dang. God. Oh, yeah. That's son of a gun. Especially at nine years old. Yeah. That's why I went 40 minutes to reel it in. But yeah. it, was, it was a hell of a fish fight. As big it as was he was. Were you getting lots of runs? Like you tuck her out, you get close to the boat, you get a glance oh, from yeah. that, and then boom! Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's probably pretty odd. I've never caught a redfish that big. Not even close. It sounds like if he's done sent two motors... Uh, in a week, he probably could have used it on a fly jack plate back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, do, he's doing he something a, wrong. He had him a long shaft on a short transom boat. <laughs> That's wow. terrible. That is insane. So without giving, without getting too detailed in that area that I mentioned that I, I love, what what areas, general areas, are your favorites? Like, do you like the St. Mark's area better? Do you, um, are you a St. Joe Bay guy? Do you go all the way out um, more to, towards uh, Pensacola, Appalachia? Where, where's your favorite? Yeah, so I, I like to fish um, anywhere from Alligator Point in between to uh, St. Mark's. Um, I would love to go check out the Osceola River. Um, and all those flats and marshes and stuff like that because they got all those rocks over there. Um, and that's kind of why I haven't gone because I don't know where I'm going and I don't want to, you know, rip off my lower unit <laughs> running <laughs> through. I just want to check out, what's it called? Uh, is it Ousts? Ousts? I don't know. Right on the Osceola Rivers, you're buzzing across 98. It's a bar on the right-hand side. It looks legendary, man, but it's always packed. That yeah. probably is legendary then, if it's always packed. I know, man. I just, but I'm always in a hurry. Man, that that kind of reminds me. I went duck hunting with a buddy, and uh, for the first time, um, I mean, first time ever, he's like, "Hey, come up here and come duck hunt with me. Bring your boat in Stina Hatchie." And he's like, "Let's go." We get out there that morning, and it is just foggy as can be. I mean, I can hardly see. The front of my 17 foot boat like i can hard barely see that and he's running a good 50 60 yards in front of me and i at that point i'm thinking goodness i'm about to just clock a rock somewhere like i wish i had a chart plotter so i knew how to get back where i'm at like yeah. this is that one, was, this yeah. is in the river in the steen hatchy right no that was we had put almost right near the mouth Oh yeah, you're alright. It's a hit crap trap. But I didn't know where I was going. All I had heard is that I assumed that like Stina Hatchie had rocks like Homosassa does. So I'm running. I don't even know where we're at. It's 
3 o'clock in the morning. All I know is I'm in open water, and all I'm doing is following a bubble trail because I can hardly see his boat in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just mentioned the Widowmaker, man. Homosassa. Yeah. And you go out of Homosassa enough, and eventually, you know, even if it's just a scallop trip, somebody oh, somebody always decides so, like, they either I've miss, they either so miss the signs or they, yeah, they decide that, oh, I'm going to cut the corner. No, you're not, man. That's, that limestone is, is brutal. It's unforgiving. It's just right there. Bang! You're either in or you're not, then there's no warning. Yeah. And it, a lot of me is like, oh, it's all right. I got an aluminum boat. But I'm like, no, if I got an aluminum boat, it's going to tear a nice gash in it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Man, I, I love you're out there scalloping and everything's good. Everybody's calm and cool. And then there's one crack of lightning. And man, it's rubbing is racing to get back. <laughs> Dude, I've been, out, I, I've been out there scalloping and seen like off in the Gulf. I've seen uh, water spouts off in the Gulf. Oh yeah, man. It was uh, last summer. I had my boat out there, and um, I'm following my cousin. And like you look off to one side of the boat, I can't remember the direction, but all you see is thunderstorm. And it was getting nasty. It was like any minute, it's going to be right on top of us. Did we get back to the dock at the house we were staying at? And it's like flood. <laughs> as soon as we got back, I was like, whoo, we just made that one. You'll see dudes in St. Joe Bay where water spouts are coming through. And you'll see them coming. And everybody picks up their lines. They drive out. Let the water spot, spot water spout move through. <laughs> Right back in. I was going to say, so... Drive around rainstorms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was say, so just about every time I've been to the Panhandle, I've seen a water spout. Or, or I mean, a water spout's just a huge common thing up there? Uh, I, I think I've seen three of them. Three. My whole life. So, uh, I'm not too sure if they're common, but... I don't know what it is. Um, that's, that's the most places. I mean... I, we were eating dinner at a restaurant one night that was almost right on the water. Water spout was like out, and everybody inside was like freaking out. And the people, like you could tell who were local because they were like, "Oh, it's just another water spout. It's okay." They're pretty regular over there. <laughs> yeah. At least that area I love to stay. They're there every summer. Yeah, I don't. We were up there for a month this summer, and I I may have seen a dozen. Jeez. And I wasn't kidding about. It really depends because it's weird. You will get a water spout. There's always storm activity in the area. Yeah. But you know how that is where it's like it's raining on one half of your boat and not raining on the other half. Mm-hmm. So it's in there and you'll get a water spout that'll form because there's rotation up in the atmosphere and it comes down. But there's not a big storm around it. It's just a water spout. There's there's rain. So you see it and it's coming and you don't want to, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tornado. Right, so you don't want to mess with it. I mean, I've seen really big ones you definitely want to mess with, but this is just a water spout, and everybody just reels up. And when I say drives away, they don't drive like a mile away. They they move a hundred yards in either direction. The water spout moves through, and everybody goes back to fishing where they were. <laughs> it's 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 it, and, and I mean, it, it seems so insane, but when you're up there and you're in it, and it's actually just calm water, it's pretty flat. There's not a lot of wind. There's just a water spout. It doesn't seem to make any sense as to why it's even there. But that happens. That's so. I want to ask. I was thinking while we were talking about saltwater. You are from Tallahassee. Yes. So, do you ever do any freshwater fishing on like Lake Seminole? Uh, no, I've never fished Lake Seminole. Um, 
Lake Talquin I've fished. Um, That's the one that just dried up, ain't it? Or no, that was Jackson. Yeah, Jackson dries up. Yeah, it's been drying up a lot lately. Yeah, that 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 sinkhole opened up in it not long ago, and it. Yeah, yeah. and then it closed up, and then it opened up again. I think it's dry right now. So, but when I was growing up, it was usually every seven to ten years or something like that. I'm pretty sure Um, it would open up and dry out, fill back up do it again so is it safe to say you got your start in uh in freshwater fishing or uh both um in high school i did a lot of freshwater fishing um on jackson actually um and it was great water was clear you know in spots there wasn't any weeds or hydrilla um but the last time i went out there when there was water in it there was just a mat of hydrilla everywhere and unless you had a you know surface drive or an airboat you weren't getting through it Jeez, i can drive a side-by-side across it <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably could yeah. no so i mean what was it about talquin that drew you you said you've done your most freshwater on talquin i mean is it just the closest or no it's uh it's probably 40 minutes away from me um but uh I probably most of my fishing was on Jackson, but I think one of my most memorable fishing was on Talquin because it was dead of winter. It was probably 30 degrees outside and we'd go up to these docks and with the lights on them and, uh, you know, cast a spinner bait up there and you just hammer the striper bass. So y'all were and, night fishing them then? Yeah. Oh, and it is, it was fun, fun, fun. I love night fishing, man. The last time we went night fishing, the only problem we had with night fishing is you'd show up to a dock with a light on it and start. Brian, you were there. Yeah, we'd start fishing it, and then they'd shut you know, the light off. Yeah, you get our our you know generous snowbirds here in Florida, or, or, or people that are just complete buttheads that don't live in Florida anymore, or that moved here from somewhere else. And you go up there to fish it, and they'll turn the light off. Mm-hmm. Then you go. On, then you go on to the next one. And they turn the lighter back on. Like that, gummit. Really? Just turn all your lights off on the boat. But have you ran there. Seminole much? I mean, we we did a uh, we had a podcast last week with a guy that uh, fished. He was a bass fisherman. Fished Seminole some, and I was like, I've ran Seminole three times now, and that lake scares the piss out of me every time I run it. Dude, we went duck hunting. On that's the only time I've been on Lake Seminole. And uh, we went duck hunting there. We shot some canvas backs, and man, we were in a little twelve foot John boat. I think it was a twelve thirty six, so it was narrow, and it was two of us in there with a little long tail six horsepower. And, and man, you run up on those stumps, and you get stuck on them, and it is sketchy, especially <laughs> in that little boat, because you know if you don't act right, you're uh, you're going over. Yeah, so I told that guy, I was like, listen, last time I ran Seminole, like, because the water in Seminole is really clear. Yeah, and when If you can see from running the channel that if you leave the channel, the stumps ain't but, like, maybe a foot underwater. Yeah, if that. But there's, I know that, it, I don't know at what part of, Cause I came in from like the Bainbridge side. Uh, I think we, I stayed at like Big Gems or something like that. It's a big fish camp. 
It's on the Georgia side of Seminole. Okay, yeah. Um, but there's also another uh, a spring on that side of the lake. I think it's called Big Blue or something like that, but it is gorgeous. Yeah, I've never been to the spring, but uh, I do know that there are a bunch of ducks out there. One of my uh, one of my good friends, his grandfather, has a uh, a duck pond. It's a little, I guess not a little, but thirty acre flooded cornfield. Just probably 200, 500 yards from the lake. <laughs> Man, it is heaven. God, I was going to say, Jeez. I bet that is insane. Because I, I've heard, I've never personally duck hunted Seminole, but I've, I've been up there to run it a few times with my boat. And uh-huh. uh, I've heard that canvas backs are just a thing on that lake. Yeah, I think we shot seven different species in one morning. Didn't the other fellow yeah. say Georgia hunting sucks? Yeah, but Seminole's kind of a yeah, I know it's, a he, he's, he's up in the mountains. Yeah, yeah, Seminole hunting is uh, around here. That's kind of like a a joke where you're like, "Hey, where'd you kill that?" You're like, "Hey, Lake Seminole." Like, <laughs> send, send somebody somewhere else. Like, hey, skin <laughs> yeah. pond. Yeah, Skeeter Pond. <laughs> yeah. Well, Where them tags are at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I want to hear some deer hunting stories, too, though. Because, I mean, you said you didn't kill anything this year, but... Man, I've had the worst luck. And you know, I started out hunting, and it, it wasn't... It was probably six years ago I started deer hunting. And I would go out there every single time I could it was almost every single day and um and I would see you know small buck after small buck and a bunch of does in the field and um I would see some decent eight points but I would pass them up because I wanted my first buck to be a a nice trophy buck um and uh I just kept passing them up passing them up and then I just kind of got burnt out from it because I was going so much. And uh, just this year, I started kind of getting back into it. Uh, this this place I used to go to was in Florida. Now the new place is in um, Georgia. So, th- and, the, and the bucks are just much bigger. A lot of girth. So that was a thing for us. So we hunted, uh, my brother and I will hunted georgia my dad had a hunting lease in georgia for our whole entire lives so we hunted a lot of georgia and then uh this past year we had lost our lease the previous year like that year ended and we lost our lease and we put just a i mean it probably really wasn't until we got with easton big time that we had put just a die hard season into trying to public land hunt Florida. And, uh, that was rough. And I mean, there, there is a lot of time that goes into public land hunting. And you, I mean, this first season we learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Definitely don't go out there first time and shoot one. Public lakes around here. They're just crowded. You're shooting over people, people are sky blasting, and it's kind of gotten to the point where it's just kind of not even worth it. Sounds like Emerald yeah, of Mars. So we had actually, this was, the, we we got with Easton, we, 
we had known Easton, but didn't we know we knew Easton? It was kind of a long story, but so I had taken Easton duck hunting this for his first time this year, or shot it. You went on your first time, but it was your first duck. Yeah, I've I've never killed a duck. I've been twice, and no, you have two ducks. It's well, with until I went with you. Um, but the last Sunday, the last day of season, we went out to an area. And the, these ducks were just stupid high. And these people shot, and Easton looks, he's like... <laughs> at first, like, we were like... He's, he was like dumbfounded, looked at him. He's like... "Is Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah. Were, is that what they were shooting at? And I was like, yes. Yeah. Well, we were sitting that there. That is exactly what they were shooting at. We hear shots go off. It's, you know... I mean, we've we've been there for since four o'clock in the morning because we had to get there early because everybody and their brother decided to go duck hunting on the last day. And, uh, you know, we get out there and next thing you know, it's eight thirty. Nobody shot anything on the whole lake. And we're sitting there just hanging out. Next thing you know, we just start people hearing people shoot off. Then they're right next to us. And we're like, I don't see any birds. Do you see any birds? And then we look up higher and they're like, Look like airplanes way up in the sky. And we're like, yeah, well, I guess that's what they're shooting at because there's literally nothing else around. There's no birds that fell around them, nothing. So they didn't kill anything. They were just wasting shells. <laughs> the reason y'all didn't kill anything is because Brian and I hunted that exact same spot the day before and yeah, we and killed them slayed all. Them. And melee them. Slayed them. We even left the decoy behind so you could see it. That's yeah, where yeah, we I was. <laughs> Marking said, that spot. Don't hunt here because they ain't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> you ate some of those ducks yesterday, as a matter of fact, Briar <laughs> or Jordan. Yeah. I believe it. One one of those is at the taxidermist right now. So oh, if you yeah. nice that stud, yeah. yeah. If you had to pick one thing that you couldn't like, there was only one thing you could do from now on. Would would you fish or duck hunt or deer hunt? Man, that was, that's a tough question. Huh? I know that's that's <laughs> a tough one question. for me too. That's why I'm putting it on you. Yes. Um. If I had to choose between deer hunting and fishing. It would be fishing, but if I had to choose between fishing and dove hunting. Oh, dove hunting. Oh, I didn't even throw dove hunting in there. That makes it even more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, the golf of hunting. You know, you're (laughs) drinking beer and shooting whatever flies by. (laughs) In shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. Sitting on Mm. the bed of your truck. Yeah. That's uh, that, I think dove hunting is definitely my favorite kind of hunting. We uh, I got I've gotten kind of spoiled. We've been to Argentina a few times. Oh, oh yeah. it is like something you've never seen, and you know, and of course, unless you've been there. Um, but there are just thousands, hundreds of thousands. I, I think I shot uh, twelve hundred birds in a day. They gave me a hat. I was gonna say I, I, I talked to somebody that hunted Argentina a while back because I've never been, and they were like, literally, your guide has multiple guns, and when you run out, yep. they just hand you a new gun. I think that's what I told you because my dad went. Yeah, it and might have been. You talked yeah. about it. Gonder's been too. Same thing. Oh, that's Gonder was yeah. the one that was telling me about it. You shoot parakeets while you're down there too, or just doves? I think those are my favorite things to shoot. Parakeet. You eat them. Yeah, <laughs> Man, those those bird boys will get that 
we'll get a wounded parakeet and stick it in an empty shell box and, you know, not step on it hard, but kind of just jiggle the box and it'll go, and it'll go <laughs> calling in all these uh, parakeets and they fly in tight groups. They shoot once and you can knock down five or six of them. And it is, Man. it is fun. And the pigeon hunts are fun too. Have you ever eaten they work a parakeet? I have not. <laughs> just wondering if that was any good. I bet yeah, they don't good. even they don't even eat the dove down there anymore. Uh, they used to give them out to the homeless people, and there's so many dove that the homeless people won't take the dove unless they're cleaned. There you go. Wow, man, that's something else. Yeah, yeah but I think a they, lot of dove. It's a lot of dove. I think they eat. 30 something percent of their crops every year My and that's goodness. all what it is just cornfields and sunflower fields when i was young and didn't understand i was like man i'll take my shotgun down there and the guys like no man you don't want to take your shotgun i was like yeah man, I, I just i like shooting my own gun and the guy he's like you're gonna shoot like 1500 times you know <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah don't don't take it if you don't like it <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, use theirs for sure. Yeah. And traveling with a gun is, you know, that just makes it that much harder. Mm. Yeah, my dad told me he had to bring a, uh, he went one time and his buddy told him to bring a gel pad. And he said, I don't yeah. like that. So the next time he went, he said he definitely brought him a gel pad <laughs> for the next time because he definitely yeah. needed it. <laughs> you know, we had a guy come with us and uh, he didn't wear a shoulder pad. And next morning he was bleeding through his shirt and it was just, oh, you know, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot oh, of wow. shells. That's a lot of shells, yeah. So, I mean, speaking of bird dogs, I've seen your dog pop in a few times. Does she does she retrieve or No, um so <laughs> I I I used to have a a black lab and he was very good at hunting. And um he he passed away 2 years ago, two and a half years ago, and then I just got um, Tucker, he's an English cocker, and um, oh, I was spaniels. That's my kind of man right there. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, I got I got a boykin, so I can I okay. Can, I can respect a, a spaniel man. Definitely, yeah. Pretty much the same dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was uh, you know, shooting the guns around him. He was doing fine, and then um, we were down at the beach for Fourth of July. And he saw another dog get scared of the fireworks, and ever since then he's he's been scared. So he makes a, a hell of a shot dog now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you uh, do you do most of the assembling there in your garage, or do you have a shop somewhere? Or? Yeah, I do all my assembling here in the garage. So uh, I get I get the parts made, and then um, I do all the assembling and boxing up and labels and shipping out here. That is awesome. So it's it's like a, a real genuine down home company. Yeah, it's me. That's it. I don't have so, any employees. So you're all made in America, then. <laughs> yeah, yep. made in America. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I, I, you know, I know if I had got into something like this in the development process, it probably would have been me and a bunch of buddies drinking way too much beer. Yeah trying to figure stuff out. So would, would, was it like you and your buddies figuring stuff out or? Uh, no, it was pretty much just me. Um, I had one of my buddies, he, uh, he did my first CAD, um, and CAD design. 
And um, that was that was the only time I had one of my friends help me out because he's a he's a mechanical engineer, and uh, that was my first prototype. And that was one. It it looked exactly like the cardboard box, but it had the uh, <laughs> but it had the um, the car jack in there with like a a hook handle to hook to the car jack, and it had this little round handle on there, and it was all wobbly. And uh, yeah, it didn't work too well, but the concept worked. So you actually actually tried that one out, or? Yeah, yep. I tried it out, and then I was like, "Well, I can't sell this one." <laughs> so 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 now that you've kind of given us a hint to a, a fail story, I kind of want to hear some of these. I mean, yeah. what in your development process? Some of your fail stories where you were like, "Hey, that's not going to work." Yeah, that's not going to work. So I think I might have it. Um, yeah, grab it for oh, us. Sweet. I wanted to ask that if he yeah, had, he's like, got them all show. right there in the back. Hey, how's it going? Oh, sweet. Oh yeah. So is that one of the first ones? Oh man, it, this was my first one, and it had this uh little handle on there, <laughs> just a tiny little wheel handle, and uh. On the slides right here, I just had screws going through it, and it was super rough going up and down. And that thing looks well heavy. Yeah, and it's heavy. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Made out of three-quarter inch steel. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's three-quarter yeah. inch aluminum right there, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty hefty. And I had that on the, the Boston Whaler, and um, I was like, this isn't going to work. So uh, I went to my next one, and... On the second one, I tried to cut weight down, so I made the jack plate like really skinny, and then there was like a, the slide was really skinny, and then it came out to like a square where the motor mounted to, where it looked like a T. And um, and the uh, I wanted it thick enough so where I didn't have to have the motor spacers for the clamp-on motors, so you could just clamp straight to the jack plate. So I made that piece hollow, and it was just welded aluminum, like probably an eighth of an inch thick, welded aluminum into a little box. And um, I took that out. And uh, after probably 10 runs, it started cracking. And I said, I can't use that either. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so then, I, I, then I went to the CNC shop and they, uh, they really did a great job for me. Um, I, I was the one who had the designs and everything like that, and now it's a, a half-inch thick aluminum plate, um, and it is not going anywhere. Um, I've had a customer, he, uh, he was running in the marsh, and he hit a metal pole or something in the marsh, and um, he ripped his motor completely off of the motor mounting brackets, and uh, he sent me pictures of it, and it, the only thing that was left was the jack plate fully intact, and the motor mounting bracket still on the jack plate. And so it ri he, it ripped nice. the transom of the boat. No, it no, didn't no, rip the, ripped the motor of the boat. off its mount. Yeah, it ripped the it ripped the motor off. Jeez. From the motor mounting bracket, from the clamps. God Almighty! Go. So it broke the cast there, though. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. That's tough. Yep. Do you ever have one in in your developmental process where you about lost a motor? Or? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Because I, I 
made sure to check all my screws and everything. <laughs> then I just started bolting my motors on there because there's no way I wanted to lose a motor and be set back, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, that'd take a that'd take a yeah. pretty uh, a huge dismount on the developmental process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh man, that's awesome. I love these things, man. I, I can't get over just how, how awesome these jack plates are. Thank it's you. it's it's like a jack plate for your average everyday man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we have uh clamors using them, you know, obviously duck hunters in Arkansas use them. Um freshwater fishing, going up the rivers, uh and um we've had them on jet engines um you know like jet outboards oh i was fixing to say oh all right i gotta hear this how they're going on but you're talking about like i was thinking like you know one of the jet johns or whatever where they put the jet ski motor inside the john boat oh no no this is outboard with the jet motors on there and they're running you know in those rivers up north where there's just nothing but rocks and they're just running and probably an inch or two Dang. That's it. so. How how adjustable is your jackpot? I mean, you obviously go from. I mean, what's what's the the above? You know, when it's all the way down, how far is it above the transom, and then how far can you adjust? So when it's all the way down, it's sitting above the transom, probably an inch, an inch and a half, um, depending on where you set the or mount the jack into. So I have. So these are uh these are my top and bottom C-channel mounting brackets where okay. the jack mounts. And uh, if you can see that, I got three holes on there. So you can, whether you have a short shaft or a long shaft motor, um, you can kind of adjust it. I mean, it's not a huge adjustment, but it's better to get an extra three inches out of the jack plate mm -hmm. if you have a long shaft motor. Um, so the customer has the, I guess, option to mount the jack in different locations on the jack plate in order to get that height. So the jack has uh, five and a half inches of travel, but at max height, if you have the jack mounted into the, I guess, highest position um, in the holes, you can get about eight inches above the transom. And I think that's, uh, that's the highest a jack plate will go, I believe, in the whole market. That's awesome, mm. man. So uh, what is, cause I, I know a thing like I've never been a huge, uh, until I got start got into mud boats. I was never like a, a huge tiller handle kind of guy and I, I want a tiller handle motor now, but I know one thing that a lot of people are big about is the setback. Yes. Yeah. Cleaner water. Um, so, and I'm not certain about this, but from some of my, guys that I work with, uh, the theory behind setback is obviously you get that cleaner water coming up underneath the transom. So the setback, the water goes underneath the transom and then it kind of rises up. So you can get the jack plate up higher with the setback. And so if your cavitation plate was level with the bottom of the boat, just putting on the jack plate would give you another inch and a half because for every three inches i believe um it allows you to raise the motor up one inch so for five inches i think it's one and a half inches that's pretty slick so what's hmm. the setback on your plate itself 
with five, every, inches. I mean, five inches yeah total from the front of it to the back of it that's pretty sweet dang hmm. yeah and yeah. i made it that way so for the short shaft motors the customer would be able to lower it down all the way like if they're in deep you know rougher water um they would be their motor clamps would be able to sink down into the actual jack plate so hmm. now that you've said that i'm not hugely versed on jack plates but you know most of the time when i think of a jack plate i think of being able to rise a motor higher um you know because maybe you have a long shaft or you want to run skinnier water but what are some of the advantages of a jack plate that most people don't you know like if i'm looking into buying a jack plate i'm thinking about going higher but what are the advantages of it going lower too well so it won't technically it it won't go lower than your transom will allow okay um so if your motor was just on a transom with no jack plate that's pretty much what it's going to be with with the jack plate at the lowest setting or position um but i think one of the biggest advantages of a jack plate is you know of course getting it the motor into the sweet spot um so you know it gives you better fuel efficiency it gets your rpms up to where they need to be and if you have the right setup you can run in very, very skinny water. Um, so most people don't know, or most people think that if you get a jack plate, you can just crank it up all the way or raise it up all the way and you're good to go. You, you'll be running in skinny water. Um, but there are different factors going into the jack plate that help you get into skinnier water, like getting a cupped prop and uh, traditional low water pickup or shallow water scoops. Um, I like to run an aggressive cupped prop and uh, shallow water scoops because I didn't want to drill into my lower unit to put a uh, traditional low water pickup in there. And um, if you don't know what the uh, shallow water scoops are, a guy in Texas actually CNC's them, but it's a um, the lower unit has the vent plates that the water gets sucked up into, and um, they're flush up against the lower unit. But with the shallow water scoops, they uh, stick out just a little bit from the lower unit. So you can raise the engine up and um, still get that same amount of water pressure because those shallow water scoops are scooping up the water. So it actually helps force water into the motor. Exactly, yep. So uh, here when you talked about, uh, I want to start out with, what does, you said a more aggressive cupped prop? Yeah. What does that does that help it keep from cavitating or? Yeah. So um, if you hold out the palm of your hand and kind of curl your um, the tips of your fingers inward, um, it'll kind of create a cup. Yep. Just like that. So yeah, yeah just like that. <laughs> yeah. um, so just picture that on the end of a prop blade, and. Um, when the prop goes around and it's surfaced, it's grabbing the water instead of slicing through the water. Like a traditional aluminum prop from the factory, once you raise it up high enough and that prop starts surfacing, the prop will just start creating air bubbles and slicing through the water and creating cavitation versus the cup prop just holds that water around the prop. Now, you're able do, to you, do you get any more speed out of that when it's jacked up or is this the sole purpose is to help it grab water? Yeah. Um, so I see a lot of performance out of the cup prop versus 
the you know standard factory aluminum prop. Um, I can gain more speed and I can run the jack plate up really as high as I want. On my boat, um, I can I can run it up about six inches, uh, and that would allow my GNU to get in to be able to run in probably four inches of water. That's skinny. Yeah. 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 Especially for an outboard. That's real yeah, skinny. I, can't, I cannot start off in that, but if yeah. I'm going over flat or a sandbar or oyster bar, it's uh, definitely getting there. Uh, I got a video on one of my social media pages of uh, my wife sitting there videoing me, and she's, she's a pretty tiny girl, and um, the water line was right at her ankles. Jesus. That's, uh, yes, that's skinny. That's uh, shallow. Yeah. And so, but you talked about uh, with the the shallow water pickup or uh, that you would have had to drill into your motor. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know anything about that. So, just explain that to me. How does how does that work? Does it attach to the bottom of your boat and then it helps shovel water into it? Or yeah, definitely. So it's it basically works the same way as how your vent plates would work. Um, on the lower unit so a little there's basically a little vent plate on the bottom of your boat that you screw into the transom and there's a tube going to the lower unit and it just screws in there but you have to seal up the intakes of what are already on your unit to begin with and then you fill it up with polymer or um what's that spell called uh epoxy um and then you know there's really no going back from that once you do it yeah so it it, you 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 physically have to permanently mount it into where your vent plates would be yeah but the cool thing about that is you you could have your motor completely tilted up out of the water and it's still sitting there peeing that's awesome man yeah that i mean stuff like that even your jack plates, there's been so much innovation in fishing. You got to think that since when people first started, like trying to get shallow like that, the the, the stuff that they went through to figure all that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, I liked uh, one of my favorite little short films is uh, Unchartered: The History of Hell's Bay and uh, how like Flip Pallet and all of them started Hell's Bay, and it was just crazy. They were just innovative and needed to go skinnier water, and within, I think he said, 11 months, if you weren't fishing in Hell's Bay, you weren't in the tournament. And I thought that was, that's, that's pretty cool. How, that's sweet. How I'm going to have to watch that one. I want to know when we're going to see one of your uh, On the Flies on the uh, Skiff Challenge. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be cool. <laughs> that thing's crazy. You ever watch the skip challenge? No. What is that? Maybe. Oh. What is it? Oh, it's awesome, man. Yeah. They go they go right in front of the beach house. Do they really? Nope. Yeah, you can see them go by. They go past the beach house, right That's... around Alligator Point, and they cut straight across from Alligator Point. They cut straight across. I think it's to Tampa. Or somewhere near that. It's sick. So I don't. Where exactly does it start? I can't remember where exactly it starts. I think it starts in Pensacola. Yeah. So they take. 
I don't know that. I don't know if you know more about it than I do. I, I don't know all the specifics of it. I just like watching it because it's cool. Yeah. But uh, they take. What's the the maximum length those boats can be? You know, I'm not sure, but I think they're. I want to say they have to be like a 17 foot boat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 17 or 18 foot boat max, and yeah. I think the max horsepower is uh, 60 or 70 horsepower. Yeah, mm. they take them all the way. From Pensacola to like, uh, not uh, Mosquito Lagoon. Is it South Carolina? I, I thought they'd brought them around to like the the Space Coast over there, like Mosquito Lagoon area. Okay. They cut, yeah, for some reason, they cut through Okeechobee. Are they going all the way down? No, they're going all the way down and around wow. Florida. That's a long way. That's a long way. Yeah. And I'm ride. talking about when he said they cut past Alligator Point to Tampa, they're running like some through the Gulf. seriously nasty water. In like an eighteen foot skiff, dang. Huh. And you're they're stopping at like periodic points and fueling up, and it's pretty. Yeah, they serious. got like chase team. Yeah, yeah. I've been wondering about as far as doing like the Great Loop in a small boat. The part, the two places that get me is obviously the the jump from. Um, oh no, it's going, man. Starts with the sea. Uh, not Callahan. Son of a gun. Um, Help me out, guys. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're talking outside of Florida. I don't know. No, 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 man. Jumping across the Gulf, man. There's no... Um, Callahan's on the... the, the yeah, Callahan's in Georgia. Side. Yeah. Um, That's Florida. But... Carabelle. Mama Steen. Oh, okay. Carabelle. The jump okay. from Carabelle to Steenhatchee, because there's nothing, there's nothing between the two, right? So you either... You, in, in trying to cut, even trying to follow the shore... That's kind of treacherous because you you can bottom out and get stuck in the mud and way out from nowhere, and cutting straight across, man, you know it can get dicey out there. Oh, Definitely, that's the crazy thing is like man. so. I said I like watching this skiff challenge because you get some guys that try to run the shoreline, and then you get other guys that are just like, screw it, I'm breaking deep water. Yeah, those hell eighteen guys. foot skiff. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fearless. They will just go for it. And I think they're running, you know, through the middle of the Gulf from Alligator Point to uh, Tampa or, you know, wherever it is near Tampa through the middle of the night. Yeah. yeah. That's the craziest point. You're re- you're relying completely on GPS then, and you hope that weather is going to stay good. I, I wonder yeah. if those guys take days, weekends before this, and they run sections. Of that you know what i mean because if you do it in sections here like throughout the year before that run then you can have a <clears throat> you can have a path plot charted out on your gps yeah maybe yeah. but weather changes everything but yeah when you're cutting across that deep water knowing there's a bunch of other guys out there or maybe if you've got a chase boat who's bringing you fuel probably is a game changer no too. you're you're they're chase boats they're meeting at shore they're chase people. They're meeting at like boat ramps and stuff to get fuel. That may be, but they've got radios and there's people that know where they are. Oh yeah, you know, probably got a GPS yeah, track. Because like when I say I like to watch it, you can you're not like physically watching this person run it, yeah. Unless they're like near shore or something, but like when they're out cutting across the Gulf, like he was talking about, you're just watching GPS of a guy out there running across it. Mm. Right, but if yeah, you and I were to jump in the boat nuts. and go from Callahan or go from Carabelle to Steenhatchee. Just like, well, weather's weather looks good today. 
it takes a lot of balls to jump out there, even if your motor's in good shape with just you and a jerry can so you can yeah. refill halfway across, man. You know, because there's nobody going to come looking for you. Oh, see, I've been out in some nasty water. I used to have a, uh, man, I can't remember how long it was. I think I had a 16 or a 17-foot sea fox. And mm-hmm. I had that thing down in Pine Island one time. That was scary. Because I, I was running, and the girl that I was seeing at the time, we were down there with her family. And I stopped. And then uh, I went to get on plane again, and the boat just plowed. And I said, well, that's not good. So I said, hey, go ahead and uh, get up on the front of the boat. And I'm going to try and get back in it again. Well, she got up on the front of the boat, and the boat, it took a little bit longer than normal, but it jumped up on plane. And I said, that's really bad. So we were running. I said, you go ahead and take control of these controls here, and let me open my back hatch. And my battery was underwater. I said, well, that's that's really bad. (laughs) Sounds to me like, and I've noticed this in your current boat. I've never had any kind of good luck with boats. You, You never have good luck with bilge pumps either. No, yeah, <laughs> that gets worse there because uh, for some reason it had stopped working, and we got to an area and got it working. But that boat had a huge build pump, build pump in it, so it pumped it out in no time. I was like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not going in. My build pump's running." Okay, real quick. So for the skiff challenge, they go from Pensacola to Fernandina Beach. Oh, so that's up in the Panhandle, thirteen hundred miles. Dad, God, nonstop in a skiff, in an eighteen foot skiff. Yeah, that that take. How long does it take? Um, three days. That's it's nonstop. So, well, this is the schedule from last year. They started at five thirty a.m. <clears throat> um, with boat inspection, six thirty siren start. That was Florida. Old River Grill in Pensacola, Florida. Then they had a media stop in Key Largo. That was that's the eighth. That's the next day. Then the so ninth. They ran from team Florida Bama to to Key Largo in one day. Uh, roughly, because I Those mean they they started at six thirty, April seventh. That media stop. I imagine they stopped for fuel along the way. Yep. But they yep. ran from and that that next stop was April eighth. In Key Largo, and then finished April 9th in Fernandina Beach. That's all. I, I would assume they swapped off. Drivers. That's a heck of a boat ride. Yeah, there's two guys. Well, in so it says oh, okay. there's teams. Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, yeah but they're, they're, they're stopping them overnight. They're not just letting them run all through the night. Oh, they are stopping them overnight. You can't have a media stop with everybody leaving. Yes, yeah, is a challenge. So I bet it's I bet it's based on time that you. Oh yeah, whoever take off get, whoever then, gets their first wins. Yeah, yeah. It's it is a, a literal race. That reminds me of those uh, dinghy races. I think they're in Australia. Yeah, oh, them yeah. suckers, <laughs> dude, dude. That's what. Yeah, man, I love. I've talked to some of those guys. Them dude. Oh, I was gonna say because you sent your some jack of your jack plates to Australia. Yeah, yeah. they're probably yeah. running some of your, some of the guys are probably running your jack plates, but them yeah, dudes. They, they got, aren't allowed to. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that they aren't allowed to uh, use jack plates in the race, but they got those little hand pump uh, tilt and trim because yeah. they're just running the same motors I got right there. Oh, yeah. But hand pump? Little, so is it like a dang, like a car jack for tilt and trim? Yeah, it's yeah. like those, <laughs> what, are those what are those hand pump 
like cylinders. It's like the hydraulic, and it's got the hydraulic tube with the little claw on there. Have you ever watched them do it on YouTube? No, I've never. Yeah, dude. And it opens up, and it just lifts the motor up. So, anyway, like you said, they got, you'll watch them, right? And they'll be running, like, through the river, and the dude on the front of the boat, basically, at that point, he's on the front. And he's like a little spider monkey up there. He's all over the place. <laughs> Left, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's up there like helping the boat steer with his weight. He's keeping his him weight in around. the channel. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that dude's all over the place. And then they get out in open water, and he you see him come to the back, and that dude's sitting there on that jack on that just a pump in there <laughs> going, trim. and dude, that thing is tilted up, hauling butt across that lake. And like yeah, they're I in like a little fourteen foot, maybe fourteen foot boat. If that, yeah, I, yeah. I think they're, uh, I think they're eleven feet long. Yeah, and they're running 55, 60 miles an hour. Yeah, goodness, Just getting it, dude. Yeah. And from what I saw, the channels that they're going through are not big. No, no, it's they're like, like swerving in and out. I saw one drive off into the reeds and into the into the bushes I mean, and stuff. Yeah, that dude on the front of the boat's like that close from getting his head took off by yeah. a branch. Stumps, yeah. everything. Everything. So how many of these people that you, like, when you send stuff out to Dubai and stuff, like, how many people do you actually get to be in contact with? Not hardly any. Um, and a lot of them, you know, don't speak English. And I don't That's speak fair. their language either. So it's just pretty much through email. And a lot of them have either family or connections to the United States. So I send... I send it to their address in the United States and then they ship it out. They either fly with it. I've had a customer. Um, I think he was, I want to say Cuba. Um, he had a, he had a, um, a guy, one of his relatives carried on an airplane with him. Oh, man. That helps somebody get back to the United States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw a video of a boat floating down there. In the in the ocean with nobody on it, with on the fly, with on the fly jet plate on it. (laughs) You never seen the dude on TikTok that comes around and he shows the boats from Cuba as they wash up on shore. Yeah, Yeah. that's the guy. Yeah, we got uh, another one. That's the guy from the Tiger King. Is it? It is. Yeah, I didn't know. One of the guys from that show. But uh, what do you? I mean, do you ever? What What do you think? Other than uh, the guy blowing his motor off, what do you think your craziest customer story is? Dear Mr. Jackplate, I want to go skinny. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, I would probably say that would probably be the craziest one. Um, You know, because I I, I didn't even know that the Jackplate was that sturdy. Um, You know, I I figured that, you know, if you hit something that hard hard enough to rip your whole motor off of the Jackplate, it would do some damage to the jack plate but no no damage nothing i can just picture the correspondence between them he was like yeah please send me photos and he posted online he's like this is how good my jack plate is yeah <laughs> <laughs> free yeah. marketing I right there exactly that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, i'll tell you what if you send a jack plate to a certain address in eustace we know some fellas that'll torture test that torture test that. Thing. Good, good. That's what I want. You know, yeah. uh, from when I first started, you have to start somewhere. And you know, right now, you know, I I have a great product, but it can be better. 
um, like anything else out there. Um, so uh, I got plans that are in the works right now um, to have the the jack still have the aluminum T6061, which is like an aircraft aluminum. It's a highly corrosion resistant aluminum, which is pretty much what all jack plates are made out of. Um, and then all the inner gears are going to be stainless steel, plus the uh, stub shaft handle coming out of the jack is going to be stainless steel as well. Um, versus right now, I still have the aluminum inner and outer tubes, but the inner gears are steel with a 500 hour zinc coating on them. Um, and they will, depending on how good you take care of it, um, they will last you a long time. I've had customers have their original jack for four years now, um, but some of them will go out within a year. Um, so it really just depends on how good a care you take of them. But I think once I get to that next level of fully stainless, I think it'll make the company that much better and more reputable um, within the saltwater community. Absolutely. So what, what kind of warranty do you have on those? I mean, if it goes uh, so I, without within a year. Yeah, so I have a one-year warranty on the jack, uh, which is pretty much what all the other manufacturers have um, on their jack plates. And then a three-year warranty on the housing. So I, That's like when you said, uh, when Jim mentioned torture tests, that's like when I told you earlier, I'm looking at switching my, my mud boat over to an outboard. People are like, well, what are you going to, how are you going to duck hunt? And I'm like, listen, you underestimate what I'm willing to put an outboard through. <laughs> and I have mine through hell. There's a, uh, there's a river here and there's little pockets in between the hydrilla. So if you can get up on plane uh, with the jack plate and the cup prop and the shallow water scoops, I mean, you can go through pretty much anything um, in, except for, you know, mud and stuff like that. But if there's water with hydrilla on the top of it, I mean, you're, it's like a bass boat. You're just going right through it. Well, that's the whole reason <clears throat> guys run mud boats. It's about the intakes. It's about the air cooled versus the water cooled. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. get skinny with an outboard, but if you're running it through some of the the pea soup and the crap, that's what well, listen, you suck all that's up That's what I'm your... saying. I have seen people put some of those outboards through some of that pea soup regularly. Oh, yeah, me too. And then what you don't see is it in the shop after the video. I mean, yeah, you may have to put a water pump in it, you know, more regularly than your average, but every couple of trips. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but that, that that's that's pretty easy to do. Just drop that lower unit down, put in a new. Yeah, water, water. pump ain't nothing hard. That yeah. impeller's pretty cheap too. Yeah. Well, that's the issue, right? Is the crap gets in there and chews up the impeller, and then you're not moving water and. Beep, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I just get real. Oh, I get real good at doing water pumps. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I change mine about every sixty hours because I'm that guy, especially during moorhen season. Oh, <laughs> you guys ever do any like? You guys have a bunch of marshens up there or anything? Or, uh, not that I know of. I mean, I'm sure there are. I, I've I've never hunted the marshens or anything like that. But, um, I know there's a uh, Sabine guys in Texas. I think they love to hunt those marshens. Oh, that's that's pretty good. That's something I'd love to get into is marshens. 
It's, I mean, it's just nothing I've ever tried to venture into. But like Jim was saying, we'd love to do some. You know what a, a moorhen is, correct? Uh no, not familiar with it. It's kind of like a. It's kind of like a coot, but it's got like a uh, candy corn coot. Yep, yep. A candy corn colored beak. Black okay. yellow beak, or and the little red dab of red on it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but you're talking about like soras and um, and. Um, um, <laughs> Oh my goodness! Now I can't remember. I'm having all kinds of mind blanks this evening. Yeah. <laughs> rails. Oh, uh, ra- yeah, yeah, rails yeah, yeah, yeah. and soras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're looking That's at. Stuff I'd love to do. That's like where you could troll and just slam them, kind of like you can a moorhen. Yeah, but they get <clears throat> those those rails and soras. They get they get back up in in the grass where the the what makes the moorhens a lot easier is. They're kind of dumb. They come walking right out in the front, and yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we're if when we're out there more hun, more hen hunting, that there aren't some rails. Probably not very many soras. They're more they're north. They're a little further north, but soras are little brown chicken looking birds with a stubby little neck. And when you see one, you're like, ooh, that's what that is. The the rails are. You got to be a little bit more careful because you get things like yellow legs and whatnot that also start to look a little bit like them if you're. If you get trigger happy, I've seen them. I've just never hunted them. I never see them during the season. <clears throat> so, I mean, as we're kind of winding this down, I want to know at what point in your your whole process here were you like, "Yeah, we're gonna make it. Like this is this is what we're gonna do." Um, I started getting a ton of social media hits. Um, I think on one of my YouTube videos, I have 4.5 million hits on it. Jeez. And uh, and at that point, it just started blowing up. And you know, I was working, I was working a job, and uh, doing this on the side, and you know, coming home from work and building, you know, a few here and there and shipping them out. And then it kind of just got to the point where, you know, I had. To, I had to choose and obviously I was going to choose to take this path with on the fly jack plates. And, um, and that's where I decided I'm, I'm going full time with it. I'm just going to do it, you know? And it was, that was probably one of the scariest things I've, uh, I've done besides, you know, taking money out with the bank. <laughs> and <using it. laughs> um, and, uh, so that, that was kind of my point of no return. You know, I'm all in, I'm here to, you know, do a job and, you know, make friends and have fun with it and try to figure out new ways to make the product better, come out with new products, um, you know, different manufacturers of, you know, price wise, trying to get it, trying to get the cost down and, um, you know, custom boxes and shipping out and logistics and just everything like that. So that was a kind of my point of no return. Um, but once I, uh, once I did quit my other job, it was, uh, probably the most rewarding thing I've done as well throughout the whole business. Um, just cause, you know, I think once you get to that point of quitting your job, um, it's just, it's something else, you know, it's a feeling that I've never had of, uh, creating a product of your own. It's kind of like that, um, that mama, we made it kind of feeling mm-hmm. yeah well it's interesting yeah, and- i'm listening to him tell the story and everybody says well you make jack plates 
and if you listen to him tell the story, making jack plates is just the tip of the iceberg, right? You've got supply chain, inventory, marketing, packaging, order fulfillment. And somewhere along the way, when you're doing all that thing, you also get to put together a couple of jack plates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and don't forget about QuickBooks. That's my favorite. Oh, accounting. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That is, uh, that's my arched nemesis, I guess. Man, I, I just hate sitting behind the computer and doing QuickBooks. But, uh, yeah, but you can't lie to yourself, man. That's the painful you part. Yeah, you're you like, I'm not making money. Ah, what do I got to do to change, right? <laughs> Work harder, yeah. Yep. Nope. And nobody cares. Just work hard. Yeah, nobody cares. But uh, the business is going really well. Um, I'm up 115% from last year. Uh, you know, nice. these, these time of the month, or I guess this time of the year is supposed to be my slow months. But I'm selling just as many now as I was as I was selling last year during the height of the boating season. So, oh, um, you know, you, you talk about height of boating season. Did you see, because, you know, we've talked a few here and there about how uh, when COVID hit and, you know, everybody had to stay home or something, I think the outdoor market itself just skyrocketed. Did you see, like, a massive spike? Definitely. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what, you know, kind of kicked it off, Um, you know, and then it kind of just started getting into word of mouth. Um, I, I went through a period where... I was so busy, you know, I couldn't be on my cell phone doing social media and, you know, posting pictures and videos and all that stuff. You know, I'd go a week or two without posting anything. And, um, you know, I thought it would, you know, slow down, but it kind of just kept its track just from word of mouth, um, which is great. That's awesome. So was it like when you were able to post it at Spike again? Yeah, yeah. So um, on my uh, on my videos, once I post a you know a good quality video of you know someone running skinny skinny, um, it'll spike. That's awesome, man. And I, I love that this is essentially from what I can hear, it it is a one man show. Like it is you building, it is doing everything. Yep. yep, I am the accountant. I am the the builder. I'm the employee. I'm uh, the assembler. I'm the shipper. I'm the printing labels guy. Yeah, I'm a I'm a one man show. So you do everything but the actual machine work. Yep. Yeah. I uh, I didn't have five hundred to a million dollars to buy a machine. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I sourced it. <laughs> yeah, you keep on that track though. You'll get there, man. Yeah, maybe one of these yeah, days you'll be uh, cranking them out yourself. Do what? Machine work. Maybe one of these days you'll be uh, doing the machine work yourself. Or paying yeah, somebody that is, uh, to do the machine work in his shop. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That is. Uh, that's the goal for sure. That's awesome, man. I, I mean, I, like I've said before, I, I really think that these uh, for your average Joe jack plates. I, I don't doubt that you're you're going to reach that point. Yeah, yeah. I I have uh, yeah a great feeling that I'm definitely going to reach that point. So right now. I'm at the point where my manufacturer machining my stuff can only do 200 units a month. Uh, and I'm at 175 units a month right now. Um, so it's getting to that point where I need to, you know, go another avenue for 
the smaller jack plates. The jack plates up to 30 horsepower are the ones that are, you know, definitely selling the most. Um, and then the uh, the larger jack plates, the manual jack plates up to 50 horsepower, they're starting to gain traction. And, um, you know, of course, my electric versions, they're starting to gain traction as well. But the, uh, the gold is in the small manual jack plate. That's awesome, man. And you can, you can definitely see the, uh, when you speak about your jack plates, you, you can see the passion in your eyes for them. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I mean, it's something that I, I knew I always wanted to be a business owner, but I wanted to do something that I love to do. And I kind of came into this business going, man, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be out on the boat marketing. And then, uh, Come to find out, I'm sitting in my garage by myself building jack plates. You <laughs> <laughs> found out what it was all about. Yeah, <laughs> and there, that, there's the real story. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> awesome though that you know that the the guy that you message about your jack plate is the same guy that's building it and the same guy that's shipping it. Yep, that's pretty yeah, awesome. Definitely. Yeah, I get people all the time. Man, I'm talking to the owner. Yeah, it's the only guy here. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to him. <laughs> Oh yeah, man. Well, yeah, you want to talk to the marketing team too? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just merge you over. So we're winding down. I mean, you guys got any uh, any finishing thoughts here? Oh man, uh, sounds like you got a real good uh, thing going, man. And I hope it it takes off for you even more than it already has. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Absolutely, Absolutely. brother. We've had a good time with you. I want to say. Uh, now that we've talked on the fly, you just go ahead and buy you some tickets to get you a jack plate. There you go. Don't miss out on that. You got is, uh, is y'all's podcast, is it primarily hunting and fishing or what? what is a... Man, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's primarily yeah. hunting and fishing, but we do a lot from... I mean, we've talked some about camping and stuff like that. It's anything outdoors in general. Yeah. Conservation. Yeah. Yeah. It's really um, conservation driven, but through hunting and fishing. Okay. Yeah. Some of the, some of the guys that I work with, um, South Dade skiffs. I don't know if y'all have heard of them. No, but, uh, I've heard of them. Era, Maybe. They, they, yeah. They started getting, they started the same time I did. So we kind of linked up and they, uh, they put the jack plates on all their boats and they, they started out with their first South Dade and it was a, I think it was 16 feet. And it was uh, just a, a small polling skiff, technical polling skiff. And uh, they started blowing up. And uh, they came out with another model, a little bay boat. And then they just came out with another model called the uh, Islandia. And it's an 18-foot flats boat that uh, Chris Morjon designed. And uh, if you don't know who that is, he, he pretty much designed every boat on the market, flats boat-wise. Um, he's just a genius when it comes to... Uh, I guess aerodynamics for water. Hydrodynamics. Um, <laughs> hydrodynamics. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and it, and it, so we got a jack plate. Imagine if we had a shell to put the jack plate on. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So I was my 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 point with coming up with t- telling you telling you guys about South Dade was I think that they have a great success story as well. Um, they're, uh, they're based out of Miami and it was just, a uh, one guy, Lewis, um, he just started building these boats and then he got his, one of his buddies, Sean, to start helping him out. And, uh, next thing you know, they're, 
selling boats all the time. I mean, they're just, I mean, they're work, probably working, you know, 15 hour days sitting there in their shop, building boats, taking them out of the molds and coming out with new boats. And they're, uh, they're really expanding. I think it would be a, a, a great story. I would love to hear their story. You know, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely have to get with them. Yeah. yeah, I've seen them on Facebook. I looked at their boats. They got some really yeah. nice ones. Look, yeah, slick. Looks pretty slick. I thought about buying one. I I looked at all the prices and I was like, I ain't got no money. <laughs> <laughs> I do that quite often too. Yeah, and believe it or not, they are probably the best technical pulling skiff price out there. Um, yeah, for what you got. I mean, it's all, you know gel mold and all that stuff i don't know the technical terms of it but they're a very well built yeah very well priced from what i saw yeah it's been a while since i looked at them but they were they were pretty good priced from what i saw compared to all the others yeah, yeah. and i think i think their new flats but the islandia i mean it looks like a hell's bay i mean it's probably just as good as quality um and um and i think it's going for thirty thousand just for the whole which is really good. I mean, some of those Hell's Bays and Chittam skiffs, they get up to a hundred thousand. Yeah, I was gonna say so, yeah, yeah, you're looking at hundred K for some of those Hell's Bays and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah, thirty thousand in the boat market nowadays, not bad for Yeah. Yeah, not at all. And I think they're gonna sell the piss out of them at that price. Oh with, yeah. With yeah. how they're built for sure. Absolutely. We definitely need to get with them. Well, uh I'm gonna go ahead and end it here, but I'm not gonna stick around after because uh, we still. I wanted to talk to you some about the jackplate you're donating, but uh, yes, man, we really enjoyed having you on tonight, and uh, we've loved hearing your success story. It's uh, it's been a blast having you. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having. Me. See you later, buddy. Yeah, we'll see you. Yeah.